Happy Sunday. It's good to be here with you guys. I have such a heart for church plants. I was part of one in uh, L.A. about five years ago and one in New York City. I wasn't the plant. I was just part of the team, so you guys just enjoy the benefits of it. But uh, as, as um, Ryan shared, I have such a heart for church plant and church planters. But it's hard work, right? It, it takes special people to plant, right? People say, if you don't have to, don't do it, right? Because it's so hard, right? But there's such a grace in that too, right? We, I've experienced some of my deepest relationships in LA and, and in New York City that we're so lifelong friends, right? Because when you're in the, in the huddle together, when you're grinding it out together, you're praying for people to come to understand the gospel, right? You build this such spiritual friendship. So I hope you guys enjoy this season. Right? I'd say like the beginning, there's so much grace that God pours out. It's like a baby being nurtured, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy and honored to be here to share the word, to be with you, to get to know you. I've known, I've, I didn't know I was going to meet Brian. Where's Brian? Brian Fail. There, yeah. Brian was one of the first people I met when I moved to Fresno. So we, we connected through, through coffee, and uh, he showed me around the town. Uh, I, I saw Kathy as well. Um, and so it's good to be here. LJ, LJ, I think we're going to connect in a little bit. I heard his daughter wants to meet me because I'm Korean. And so she's really into K-pop and BTS. I think she's still too young for like Squid Game. So yeah, but uh, <laughs> we connected through Squid Game a little bit. But really happy to be here. I'm excited uh, what the Lord wants to do with us this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in, in John and in Luke. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospels, but first in John. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 7. And and I don't know if you guys do titles, but I titled this message, Homecoming. What does it mean for us to come home, right? When you think about home, you think about belonging. You think about identity, right? What does it mean for us to come home in this pandemic season, right? We've we've been quarantined, isolated, separated uh, for such a long time, right? Even even mask wearing, right? We we do that to to help others, right? We we do that to to love our neighbors, right? Even that, you feel a little bit of separation in that, right? So what does it mean for us to come home according to the gospel? So I want to read for us from verse 1 through 7. But before I do this, I I should do a little intro. Um, I'm here with my wife, Karen. You want to say Hi. This is my wife, Karen. Uh, we've been married for about a year now. Uh, during the height of COVID, last year, November, we got married in San Francisco. We did about two years of long distance. So even for us, right, we're, we're, we're finding out what home is. So we've been together physically in town for just this summer. So it's been about three months or so. We're, we're just learning the new rhythms of being married together. And uh, we, had, we got married in COVID. We have a COVID baby coming. Yesterday, we found our gender. It's going to be a boy. So in January, we're expecting uh, our, our third part of our family. I'm so exciting for that. I'm waiting for sleepless nights and all that stuff. <laughs> but I'm, we're, we're ready. We're ready for that. Um, one, one of the things I like to do at my church, as a, I pastor a, um, a Korean-American church in Herndon and Maroa. So I've been there for about three years, moved from L.A. And uh, we're, we're, we're a Presbyterian church. Uh, I call ourselves the, the frozen chosen, right? And I'm trying to thaw them out. That's been my, my goal <laughs> for the past three years. Uh, but, but we're reformed. I'm, I'm, my background is uh, I have a reformed theology, but I'm also charismatic. So I call myself a presocostal. Uh, you guys can figure out what, what that means. But if we could stand together as we honor the word of the Lord. I will read it for us. I'm going to read from the ESV version, uh, 14, verse 1 through 7. And then um, you guys can follow along, and then we can, we can sit down. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And I will take you to myself. And you know the way that where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. If you're able and willing, would you just close your eyes with me for a second? I just so enjoyed that space of worship and communion and creating space for God. In the, in the New Testament, there's a word for Holy Spirit. It's the word ruach. It's that really breathy, back of your throat word, ruach. And the word Holy Spirit, ruach, means the breath of God, the wind of God. In the same in the New Testament, there's a word pneuma. It's the breath of God, the wind of God. So I want to invite you to about a minute for you to breathe the breath of God. So as you inhale, you're inhaling the ruach, the pneuma, the wind, the breath. And as you exhale, just let go of all your anxiety, all your tension, all your worry, all your burdens. Let's do that for about a minute, and I'll pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts to you, our minds to you, our spirit. God, we thank you that it is in stillness and quietness that you are there, that we know that you are God and we are not. And that is good news, that even when we don't have it all together, when we're struggling, we can trust that you are God and that you're Father and that you're strong, and that you're good. Lord, so I pray for the grace this morning to hear your word, grace to preach. Lord, grace to to make it about you, God. This is not about me, about anything that I say, but it's about you and your story, and your story of grace and redemption. We give you this space. May you be honored and glorified in this space. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to begin this morning by just kind of giving you a little background of of where I come from. One of the hardest questions to answer is when I meet somebody and they're like, where are you from? I don't know if you've gotten that question. Where are you from? 
I have such a hard time answering that because so many thoughts come to mind, right? Home has ideas of belonging and meaning and purpose, and I've moved so much. There's a, there's a term, TCK, or third culture kid. So if you're anybody like a missionary kid or moved at, at okay, do you, have you heard that term, third culture kid, right? If you're an expat or a missionary, you know that, right? Because you moved at a, at a formative time in your age while right? so you're figuring, figuring identity, culture, right? And so you, you, you're not like fully American, but you're not fully the, the, the culture of the country that you moved to. And sometimes you come back, and you're like, I'm this like third, I have this third culture, right? And so I was born in, in Korea. A lot of times when, when people are like, where are you from? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I was born in Korea, like north or south, right? Never ask that question. How many of you have met North Koreans? Probably none, right? <laughs> 99.9% of the time, it'll be South Korea. I bet you. I'll guarantee you that, right? But my parents... They, they, they grew up in, in South Korea, southern part of South Korea. My mom was a Christian. My dad was not a believer, was not a Christian. He was a Buddhist. His family came from a Buddhist family. And I'm the youngest of three. I have two older sisters. And my dad was the eldest son. And just like in the Bible, eldest son have greater expectation, greater responsibility. And in, part, in that culture, right, this was like post-Korean War, really poor Korea. Korea at that time was more poor than some of the poorest countries in Africa. Right? So they were, they were born in that generation out of a lot of trauma. And my, my grandparents, they wanted a son because sons carry the, the name. Right? And that's not really a thing that we think about in the States in modern times, but that was important at the time. Will somebody carry the name of this family? Right? And so uh, first child was, was, was my older sister Amy. Second child was my sister Elena. Right? And so that was already two strikes. And the third strike was that she was a Christian. Right? How dare you be a Christian when we're Buddhist? Right? That was part of the identity, that we're a Buddhist family. Right? And so I know a lot of times in Christianity we, we talk about persecution. But really, like, it's such a different thing from the Bible. But I, I believe partly my mom experienced a level, a level of persecution. Right? It's kind of like that uh, uh, Cinderella story. Right? They, they treated her as a servant, as a maid. And my, my dad had many siblings, so they made her do all the food, all the laundry. They even stopped her from going to church. They took out her Bibles. So the only way that she was able to do, to do faith, to, do, to worship, was they had a tenant in the basement who was, a, who was a pastor. And they would have these secret Bible studies at home. Right? So this is the background that my mom came through. And through all that pain and, and, and suffering and heartache, right, out of her desperation, she prayed. Well, in the Bible, they call it the Hannah's Prayer. Right? And in the book of Samuel, there's a lady named Hannah who was barren. She couldn't give a child to her husband. And so out of her desperation, she went to the temple and she prayed, Lord, if you give me a son, I will offer him to the Lord. She, I will dedicate him to God. Right? And the priest thought she was crazy because it was a prayer of the heart. There was, her, her mouth was moving, right? but there, was no, there were no words. It was a prayer of the heart, this, this deep groaning. But God answered the prayer. And the birth of that child was Samuel, the prophet. Right? And so my mom prayed the prayer, and I was born. God gave her a son. And I grew up as a, as a young person hearing the story. It was such a foreign story. I didn't understand it. I just knew, like, hey, maybe I'll be a pastor one day. And then I forgot. I totally forgot the story. Uh, just to remind a little bit, at the age of one, uh, my family, the five of us, we moved to uh, South America to Buenos Aires. So from age one to ten, we lived in South America uh, as an immigrant family. Uh, we, we loved it. Like 
the land of soccer, Maradona, you know, Messi. Uh, we, we ate steak every day, right? Steak. I was too young for wine, so just steak at the time. Um, but it, it wasn't an easy childhood. My dad was traveling all the time, so I, I was a typical like, absent dad, or the dad that was always working. And so I was raised, raised by my mom. And then at the age of 10, we moved again now to the States, right? So when I moved to the States at the age of 10, we first moved to New York City, I, I had this identity crisis. Who am I? Where's home? Even that move wasn't like this well-thought-out planned thing. When you're an immigrant family, right, the first thing is like survival. Are we going to have food to eat? Can I provide for them? So my parents, they didn't have like therapists. They didn't have like all this knowledge. It was just, can we provide food to the table? And, and primarily move for education, right? For, for us to have a better education in the States. But one summer, my, my parents were like, hey, we're going to go to Korea. For the, so you're going to go back to your homeland in Korea. And then we're going to go to New York City because my older sister Amy was a pianist. So like, we, we hear this great pianist or, or school for pianists. And so one summer, I'm hanging out with my friends in Argentina. And then, one, and then the end of that summer, I'm in New York City, right? Without even saying goodbye to them. Think about the trauma as a 10-year-old kid, right? I didn't even know what's going on. All of a sudden, I'm in New York City. I came and speak the language, right? And so, am I Korean? Am I Argentinian? Am I American, right? Right, this th- third culture. I was, and so, this idea of being a foreigner has been part of my story from the beginning, right? And the Bible talks about this a lot, right? That as Christians, we're citizens of heaven and citizens of earth. Right? We have this dual citizenship that we're sojourners and exile. Right? It was into seminary that I thought about that. Right? That, that, that partly our, when, because we so long for home. We so have, uh, no matter how at home we feel where we are, there's still this longing for that real home, that greater home. Right? So we first moved to New York City. My dad was still working in in Argentina, who was a businessman. And so for three years, it was just me, my sisters, in Queens, New York, going to school. My dad was just, and then eventually he figured, hey, this is not sustainable. Like, I can't continue to be an absent dad, right? And so uh, he wrapped things up, moved to the States. Anybody have seen the movie uh, Minari? It, it, it won uh, the Academy Award. Okay, we have one person. You guys should check it out, right? If you watch Squid Game, watch Minari. This is an Academy Award winning film. Uh, Minari is a story about uh, a Korean immigrant family from California moved to, I think it was Arkansas, to pursue the American dream. Right? So, so this guy, uh, Stephen Yun from Walking Dead, I don't know if you guys know him, he, uh, he plays a father figure. They buy this piece of land in Arkansas. There's not a single Asian person there, and he starts farming. Right? And, and, but they also started like, working at a chicken factory. Right? One of the ways that immigrants were able to come to the States was, was they were given, given the, the most menial jobs Right, the things that Americans don't want to do, right? And, and we'll, we'll give you a green card if you do this job. So my dad went from being uh, a CEO of a company, a, a well-to-do company. He, he gave that up, sacrificed, and moved to, when we were in New York City, he moved to a uh, small town, Indiana. Anybody heard of Mentone, Indiana? Nobody. Nobody, right? So he moved there by himself. For about a year, he worked at a chicken factory. For about a year, just, just, just doing this work. And it was all for our education. Right? But as a young person, I didn't understand any of this. Right? As a young person, I was like, why is my dad not at home? Right? So there were all these like, father wounds and, and uh, my identity wanting, wanting somebody to father me. 
right? Wanting a place of belonging. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a, a boy, right? So when I was in New York City, I hung out with the wrong, wrong kids. At some point, I, I, don't, I don't think my, even my wife knows this. At one point, I was in a group of kids. They were good kids, but just they didn't have role models, right? So we were just doing bad stuff, like stealing and, and uh, getting into fights. At one point, it got to a pl- point where the, the cops came, and I was actually arrested in, in middle school. I, I don't think I ever told you this story. <laughs> right? <laughs> now you know, now you know. Right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's over. There, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no refunds, right? Um, And so, so, so my story is, is, God, where's home? Where do I belong? Eventually, we, we moved from New York City. My, my dad was like, hey, like, maybe he figured out that it wasn't a good place for, for me and my mom and sister to be without him. And so he's like, hey, this place, Indiana, is kind of cool. It's, it's, it's homey. It, there's small town, but it's conservative. So we ended up moving to South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. And that's, that's where I fell in love with, with the Fighting Irish. Anybody college football fans? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a strong Fighting Irish fan. We won yesterday, so that's good news. Um, and, and went to high school there, graduated, and, and I moved away from college. I went, to, I went to, uh, to Purdue University. And that was my time. Okay, now I can reinvent myself, right? Because I wasn't happy with myself. I felt like I, I didn't fit in at home. I didn't fit in, fit in at school. I was always different. I didn't fit in at church. So where do I belong? So college was, was, was my opportunity to reinvent myself. This is John 1.0. Now I can be whoever I want, right? And so I was strongly involved in church. I was strongly involved in things like worship, praise team. And I was trying to find my identity in that. I was trying to find my identity in in dating, relationships. And then eventually I got into like partying. I was like, what is this thing called beer pong? I want to learn what this is, right? I started drinking for the first time in college. But none of those things really satisfied. Even, even, even school, right? I was like, maybe if I get good grades, maybe if I get a good job and be a good Korean kid, like it's a good job, right? Maybe then my dad will, will approve of me, will, will, will have the validation, right? So I worked hard on grades, right? My first year, I kind of flunked out. I, I started as an engineering major, and that was because my dad was an engineer. And I was like, that's not for me. That's that. And so I, I was like, hey, the business guys are always partying, but they make more money than engineering guys. So I want to go with them. So I ended up joining the business school, graduate with a business degree. But by my senior year, I had tried pretty much everything, right? I, I had broken up from a relationship that was really, really unhealthy, right? Like, I was trying to find, find out about my, my sexuality, right? Even that wasn't satisfying, I had left the church that was so involved. I was so involved in this church, right? And I got jaded. I got jaded with the leaders. I got jaded with, 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 with just religion. And I got jaded with, with my lukewarm faith. It's like, how come I'm doing all this stuff? I'm embracing, I'm leading a, leading a service, I'm leading, leading small groups, but inside I feel so empty. I feel so broken, right? I couldn't reconcile those two things. And, and I was like, I don't want to keep doing this. It's just not good for me, right? So I stopped going to church in my senior year. And I was trying out different things like, like nonprofit. I was like, if I just devote myself to social work, social justice, so I got involved in, in invisible children, I, I ended up checking out uh, different churches, right? But none of those spaces I felt like I was belonging. The only thing that I felt like I was excited about was that every summer I was going on mission trips, right? 
Like, like, who are the people, a couple, you guys going to Belize, right? Every summer, I, I somehow ended up going to, I went to the Philippines twice, I went to Mexico, we're serving there. And whenever I came back, like, I felt so alive. I felt so alive. I don't know how to explain it when I'm out there, right? And it was, it, ironically, it was my dad that first, intru- first introduced me to missions when I was in high school. He was like, hey, like, my, my, and when you live in Indiana, there's cornfields, there's nothing to do. The one goal you have is to get your license, get a car, right? Freedom, right? And so I was working hard at, at Dairy Queen. I wanted to buy a car. And my dad's like, quit your job, go to Mexico. I was like, why? Why are you doing this to me, right? But that changed my life, right? For the first time, I was out of my context. I was in, in, in southern, southern Mexico, and we were, we were in, a, in a small team, and just being together, serving, being with the locals, worshiping, it, something came alive in me. I couldn't understand it, right? So I had this one week, my senior year in college, where I was walking through campus, and I was just wrestling with the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm about to graduate. I'm about to move because I got a job back in New York City. But what do you want me to do? And this idea kept popping in my mind. Missions. 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 And I was like, no, that's for missionaries. Ministries for those special people. I'm not one of those, right? But for one week, I, I just couldn't get this, this thought out of my mind. Missions. Mission. Why do you get so excited when you go to missions? Why do you get so excited when you're out there, right? And then a friend of mine invited me to uh, what they call like a revival meeting on campus. Basically, it's like a couple of nights. There's a guest speaker. There's a, there's a worship team. And, and, and you just worship. You listen to a sermon. And then you pray throughout the night. I don't know if you guys have ever been part of something like that. But it's a very college thing. And, and the last night of the service, the pastor, he was from Chicago, he stops the service and says, I, I just feel like right now there's a person here sitting, like, just like you guys, that the Lord is calling to commit to missions, to one year of missions. And if that's you, I want you to step forward, right? And it, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're hearing a message or something and you feel like, wow, this, is God speaking to me? It's almost like this prophetic word. Does the pastor know what I'm going through? Right? So I felt that, that piercing clarity that God is speaking to me at the moment, right? So partly out of, like, fear, partly out of, I wanted to obey, I stepped forward and I, I went to the front, right? And I thought there were going to be other people, right? Oftentimes when there's an altar call, you have multiple people coming up. But as I looked around, it was just me. I was like, where is everybody? Why is it just me, right? And I will never forget the words that this pastor prayed over me. He says, he didn't know who I was. He's like, the decision that you made today will be the most rewarding in your life. The commitment you made to, to mission, to missionary work. But until you obey, you're going to be miserable. As a 22-year-old college student, I was like, is this a blessing or is this a curse? What, what, should I receive this or not? Right? But those words were so prophetic. Were so prof- I wouldn't understand until much later. Right? So I graduated, I left. That was a, it was like a spiritual experience, but I forgot again. Right? I, we're so forgetful right, of spiritual experiences. So I left Indiana. I moved to New York City. Once again, this is like John 2.0. I can reinvent myself. I was tired of the corner. I was tired of the Midwest. Now I can go to the big city. Right? I got, I got the, this job that I didn't deserve in the middle of the city. If I can just make it in the city, if I can just make something of myself, then I'll be somebody. Right? But God had different plans. My, parents, my folks are still living in Indiana. A few months when I started this job, I was, I was work, work, working in the financial center. I get a call from my sister, my middle sister, Elena. 
and I had received about 10 voicemails from her that I didn't pick up. I was, I was just like in midtown Manhattan, like a hedge fund, right, with, with bad reception. And so I finally see all these messages, and I pick it up. And then she calls me again, I pick it up. He's like, Dad was got in a car accident, and he was killed by a semi-truck. It was death on impact. You never think that's going to be you, right? You hear stories of tragedy, but you never think it's going to be you, right? And so as, as a young person, I was just in shock. Um, I, I couldn't say anything. I went back to my team. I just sat down for like 30 minutes just in silence, right? I, just, and I think my manager, she, find that she figured out something was wrong. I said, hey, John, if you have to go home, just go home. And I just picked up my stuff. I left. I took the elevators, went to the lobby. I was waiting for a taxi to take me home. I was like, I guess I got to go home. I got to go back to Indiana. I got I to meet my family. And at this point, right, before, I was just numb. It was just this numbness. There was no emotion. It was just trauma. If you ever felt trauma, the initial trauma is like numbness. Like no emotions, right? But as I was down at the lobby, all of a sudden, now, like, just, just started sobbing. Emotions coming out of me. And it was in that space that I felt, I don't think it was like an audible voice, I don't, it was just an impression or, or like a small whisper of the Lord. And the only thing that I felt the Lord tell me is, John, do you still want to follow me? And all these memories started floating back of my mom's story of the prayer that she prayed. And in college, in the realm of when I said yes to missions, right? And in some ways, like going to New York City and all this stuff, I was running away from God's call over my life, right? I was like Jonah, like, yeah, I want half my foot in the church, but half I want to do my own thing, because sin is so, so tempting, right? I want to make my own life, right? And in that moment, it was the first time I actually truly surrendered. Lord, yes, I want to follow you. Where else could I go but to you, right? It was a, it was a moment of honesty that I had, and for whatever words, what, well, for whatever reason, that, that space was so sacred and so comforting. God, you can still use me. Even in my broken state, you can still, you, you still want me to be part of your team. You, you still want me to belong to you, right? And it took about three years. I was still working. I was still working in, in New York City Financial Center. For three years, I was wrestling with this idea. Okay, now I know God has called me to mission, missionary work, to leave the States. But I still, even though I said I surrender, the, the, the biggest idol that I still had was success. Anybody struggle with that? With wanting to be successful? To want to perform, right? As a good Korean son, now I had a, a widowed mom, I had two sisters. I was the only male now in the family. I was like, I need to provide for them. I need to provide for my mom, right? So financial security, I was like, that was like the last idol that I could not let go of. I could not trust God with that. But God, sometimes he doesn't wait for you, right? By the third year, as I was still wrestling with this, should I go, should I leave? I, heard, I had heard about this organization called Youth of the Mission, that they train you in, in a place called Kona, Hawaii. I was like, that's attractive. I can go to Hawaii and be trained. Sign me up, right? By the third year, I was, I, was in a, I, was, I was in a dating relationship. I was involved in church. I was working at this job that was like draining me, but I could not let it go. I remember it was like 4 p.m. in, in April, of 2019, sorry, 2012, right? My boss calls me and says, hey, we have to let you go. 
We have to let you go. No reason. If you've ever gotten fired from a job, it's like the most humbling thing, right? I have never been fired from anything. I, I, I prided myself in being successful, right? But we have to let you go. You're not good enough. We have to let you go, right? I gave my, a day of myself of self-pity. What is wrong with me, right? I'm a failure. But I knew after that day that this was, again, God's calling over my life, right? That it was the last idol to break. The next day, I applied for YWAM. Yeah, YWAM is, uh, so it's, a, it's like a six-month discipleship school that you get trained with young people. Three months of, it's like a three-month retreat where you get just Bible, you're together, and, and you get trained. And then three months, finally, I went on missions for the first time to China. I went to North Korea, right? And the Lord sent me, sent me out in the field. For the first time in my adult life, I felt like I was at home. Did you guys ever feel that? This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. For the first time, I was a stranger. That was people that I didn't know who they were. But for the first time, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be, right? I didn't figure everything out. I was grieving. I didn't know how to grieve. So I would say from that time until now, I was learning how to grieve. How to grieve my dad's lossing, my dad's passing, right? What does it mean that God is father, right? Because that, that idea of God as father was so problem, problematic because my dad was absent. And now he's really absent forever, so, why, so that time, the six months in training, why was, it was a time for me to understand, what is the father heart of God? What does it mean that I'm a son? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter? That God is father. That, that, that not only does he, does he love me, but he likes me. Right? And that grieving doesn't lessen you. That grieving can actually enlarge your soul. That can make you more. That loss can make you more. Right? That, the, that the pain is the same, that, that our capacity to feel pain is the same capacity to feel joy. That suffering, right, is not an end of itself, but God uses suffering to mold us and shape us and to draw us closer to God, right? So that was my first step into ministry to, to, to that longing that I had to be home somewhere, to belong to something, right? So God was drawing me, drawing me to relationship, to deeper relationship with Him, right? And it's been about a 10-year journey now. God, if you're a father and I'm a son, what does it mean to walk in intimacy with God? What does it mean to, for me to, to abide, right? That I'm not an orphan, that I'm not abandoned, right? That I belong somewhere. I want us to turn to Luke 15. And I'm, I just want to close with this. There's a familiar prodigal son story, Luke 15, of a father with two sons. And the first, the younger son, he goes away, right, squanders all the money of the father, sin, living a sinful life. And he's trying to find his identity in that fun, partying, sinful life. Right? And, and he comes back. He's like, man, there's no fulfillment in this. Right? So he finds his senses and he comes back. Somehow, some, maybe some of you relate to this, right, in, in COVID, in quarantine, right? We're like, man, I'm done with church. I'm done with God. Right? And as he comes back, the father lavishes his love on him. Doesn't blame him. Doesn't shame him. Says, welcome back home. Right? 
and he puts his robe on him, he puts his ring on him. Welcome back home, son. Right? I've been waiting for you. Right? And there's another son there, right? The older son who's been there all along. Maybe this is you who've been serving throughout COVID. You've been the guy in the back. You've been the praise leader. You've been Ryan, church planning. You've been there all, you've been the obedient son, right? But something has been missing, right? This is the older son that, that was like, instead of being happy that his younger brother came, he, he became self-righteous. What about me? God, I've been there, Father, I've been there all along, and yet you never throw a party for me. His heart, even though he was near the Father, his heart was far away, right? I relate to that now as a pastor, right? I'm always there. I'm always at church. Even when I don't want to be at church, I'm there, right? And sometimes my heart is away. It's cold. It's dry. And the Father says, son, don't you know everything that I have is yours? Everything that I have is yours. It's for you to take. You just have to come to me, right? Who's more lost? the younger son or the older son? I just want to ask you, where, where do you find yourself this morning? Are you the, are you the younger son who, who you're like, I'm, I'm this close to being done with church. I'm this close to being done with Christianity. I'm this close to being done with, with what it means to be an evangelical in this political climate. Or are you the older son? You've been there all along. You've been churched. You're serving right now. And yet your heart, in your heart you're grieving. There's a longing. There's loss. You want more. God, there must be more than this. Is there more than this? God, I'm longing and searching for more. Can I have the praise team come up? I want to end with the the passage that we read from the beginning. The words of Jesus, John 14. This is the word of the Lord, I believe, for you guys, for me, for us in this season. That Jesus is the greater older brother, right? He is the one that is not ashamed to call you his own. He's the older brother that that will never fail, the perfect older brother that will lay down his life for you. That he's not ashamed to call you his own. If every other older brother has failed, if every other father or mother has failed in your life, every relationship has failed in your life, Jesus is the perfect older brother, has died and rose again to bring you back home. And these are the words I want you to hear. Why don't don't you guys just close your eyes for a second. Just receive these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you. I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way, the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, it's been a difficult season. It's been a hard season of pandemic and division and heaviness and sickness and loss. 
Lord, so we come before you with open hearts. We come before you, Lord, in our weakness, in our grieving, trusting that you are good, that you that tell us to not be troubled, that right now you are preparing a home for us, that our homecoming, there's a, there's a future homecoming that is greater than anything we've tasted on earth, that you are the, fa- the, 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 the brother that's preparing a home for us in heaven, that we long for your coming, Jesus. We long for your second coming. We long when you will come back and make all things new, that you don't leave us alone. And right now, you give us your Holy Spirit. You give us the third person of the Trinity to help us as a helper, as a counselor. That you can heal all wounds. You can touch us. You can speak to us. You can breathe life, God. God, we want to come home today. We want to Sabbath with you today. Our hearts are restless until we find our place at home in you. God, we've tried everything. We've tried all kinds of success, but nothing satisfies but you, God. God, we want to drink deeply of your love. We want to drink deeply of your grace today. We need you. We're not enough unless you come. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to your people. Touch your people. Speak to your people. We open up our hearts to you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We make space for you. We create space for you. 